Welcome to the Revolution Sports Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Wood. Thank you for joining us today on this Thursday morning. Going to dive right into our to our information today that we're going to go over. We're going to start off with sports today, and then we'll transition into politics like we always do. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to remind you all, if you all are looking for further updates on news, if you're looking for more opinions from myself on these topics, be sure to go to our, our website at therevolutionsports.com and follow us there. Also follow our social media pages to make sure you can get all the latest news and updates as fast as possible because that's going to be the best way to do it. Also, that's the best place to find out any news about our podcast and if we're changing release dates or if we're a little behind schedule or if an episode has been canceled due to scheduling differences. So that's definitely the place to go if you're looking for that type of information, but I'm going to jump right into it and get started. We're looking at a little bit of news out of the NBA. Got two topics. I'm not really going to discuss one too in depth. We're going to talk about the other. Uh, first of all, had J.J. Redick retire from the da- – he was play- last playing on the Dallas Mavericks. He's now retired after 15 NBA seasons. As we all know, J.J. Redick, one of the better shooters in NBA history. It's um, sad to see him go, but he said he wanted to spend more time with his family, and that's definitely respectful. So uh, great career, good way to go off. Had play, played a good season last year, and uh, one that a lot of people found exciting to watch as he was able to light it up night after night. So I just started off with that to say uh, that that's definitely one of the shooters that the NBA is definitely going to miss. He's definitely one of the better marksmen that we've seen, and I know I'm going to hate not seeing him play anymore, but that's a little bit of news with that. Now, second story that I'm going to kind of go over and get into a little bit more depth with from the NBA is going to be on Ben Simmons. If you've been keeping up with anything with the NBA, any news that's been going on, you've been seeing – I mean, this has been going back to the end of the playoffs back in June, you know, July, whenever the NBA Finals ended, roughly about when the 76ers season ended, which was earlier than they expected. But anyways, looking at Ben Simmons, he's apparently requested a trade from the 76ers, says that he never wants to play again with them, and also has said that he is not going to report to training camp, which is due to start here soon. And looking at this... From the outside, if you're not really, you haven't really kept up with the 76ers, you haven't kept up with Ben Simmons, you haven't kept up with the whole situation in general. You're, it, it's kind of odd considering they drafted him number one overall a couple years ago. They thought he was going to be the franchise cornerstone, was going to be the player that was going to lead them to greatness. Even a lot of people compared him to LeBron James right out of, right out of college when he played at LSU for a year. So, looking at him, just. To see his, I guess you would say, quote-unquote downfall from what some people are saying is kind of just interesting because it went from, like I said, being compared to one of the greatest players of all time to now not even wanting to play for the team that drafted you. And it all comes down to, in my opinion, it comes down to just his lack of development since he's joined the league. Now, if you, I can, I mean, I can understand where the rumors came from, and from the from the looks of some people, it did look like he had very similar styles and similar potential. I guess you'd say that LeBron have he's he's not as athletic as LeBron was coming out of high school, but he definitely had the he has the IQ, he has the the point forward playmaking ability. He can he can post up a little bit. He didn't he didn't have a shot in college like LeBron didn't have a shot you know when he came into the league. So there was a lot of similarities in their game. But you could see very quick that LeBron was going to be able to develop, and you just haven't seen that with Ben Simmons. He's 
and my opinion, offensively, he's gone downhill. You haven't seen his point totals rise. His, you would think he would have developed some form of a jump shot by now, but it's still, he's still one of the worst three-point shooters in the whole entire league. And if you're a, you know, a point forward, you're running the point guard, you know, and you're ha- you're at the top of the key, you should be able to shoot the ball. And obviously, he has not been able to do that one bit. And it's. And it's funny, like I said, you look at it. He's bl- blaming this, you know, the Seventy Sixers fans. He's got. He feels like he's been trashed. He doesn't get any respect, and wants a trade now. But like I said, it just comes back down to his game, and it's hurt the Seventy Sixers more. He's well, he's hurt the Seventy Sixers more than they helped them. And a lot of the problems always arise in the playoffs for them when with Ben Simmons. And it was evident to see because you see regular season teams. They don't. Pl- everybody knows. Like I said in the last podcast, the that offense has taken over just about every sport, NFL, college football, NBA, you name it. All sports have trended towards the offensive side of the ball. And you can look at the NBA regular season where they say that teams, you know, start cruising, and that's definitely the case. And you see teams just don't play very play very good defense, and you see players light it up to get their 25, 20 a night. And then when playoffs comes, teams lock up on defense, and you see players that don't have a very good offensive skill set. You see their points dwindle, and you see their team start to struggle. And that's exactly what you saw with Ben Simmons and what was, in my opinion, obviously expected because, like I said, he didn't develop a jump shot and so when that happens you have defenses that are specifically game planning for him not having a jump shot and they're packing the paint because they know he either wants to get to the block or he wants to be able to drive the ball and if you create a wall right there it's just he's not going to shoot a high percentage he's going to have to pass the ball out and he's just there's just a lot of space in between him and the defender so that really condenses the floor and packs the paint makes it harder on Joel and B down low it makes it harder on these shooters cuz they're having you know people cheat off just to help against them uh so like i said this is really on him when it comes to this situation and i know he wants to blame philadelphia and he wants to say that they didn't help him i mean they've got all the players in the world they got so much talent they've had i mean good shooters after good shooters they've had everything they needed it's just it has literally just came down to his uh, his ability to not make a jump shot and i think it was it took him up to his second year to finally make his first three pointer and like i said he's a point forward he has the ball in his hands he's outside in the top of the three point line all the time and he just it took him to his second season to make a three pointer and i think he made like two the whole year so i mean you're looking at it and it's just it's just a bad situation and if you're philadelphia you're kind of you're kind of stuck though because of this because he, like I said, he wants out, but at the same time, though, because of how bad his playoff performances has been, how bad you know he's looked overall in his his game, just in the playoffs when it comes down to the big moments, his trade value is not very high. So you have teams that are not going to dish out top picks. You have teams that are not going to give out top players, and it's like someone today, it was Kendrick Perkins, compared uh, Ben Simmons to as a more athletic Draymond Green. And that's a, I would say, a very fair comparison. They're both good defenders. They both can, you know, handle the ball. They can take, you know, run the offense, be a point forward, and they don't have a jump shot. So I mean, it's 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 very similar. But the problem is, though, Draymond Green knows his role. He knows he's the he's the pesky defender. He knows he's the the guy who's the heart and soul of that team. But Ben Simmons doesn't know that. He still thinks he's the superstar because he got all this attention. And you've heard some people say through the media that. He is very soft in his terms of approach to the game. He doesn't like when he has 
when he has adversity thrown at him or when people call out his game and when they called out his jump shot and told him he needed to get a better jump shot, he just didn't do it. And it's obviously gotten to this point now where it's his fault, but he still wants to blame the team for it. And like I said, going back to where he's you know talk, talking about where he's soft in his mindset when it comes to criticism – if you're playing in Philadelphia, you're going to get criticism no matter what because those those fans up there they are they are diehard and they do not they support a winning team and they will let you know quick, fast, in a hurry if they're upset with how you are as a team and if you're you know you're performing bad. And so he's gotten a lot of flack just be, because of his playoff performances, and so instantly gets bad you know gets a lot of flack after the the playoffs are over with, and he wants out right off the bat. So, like I said, if you're Philadelphia, you're kind of locked in a hard, you know, locked in a hard spot with teams not really wanting to put out, you know, much for Ben Simmons because his trade value is so low. So, honestly, if you're Philadelphia and you have a guy saying that you're not coming to training camp and you're not going to get much for him, even though, like I said, you know he's a player that should be able to get, you know, you should be able to get something out of, then I would just either force him to play, like just don't trade him. And if he violates his contract not playing, then obviously he doesn't he doesn't get paid. So that's on that's on him. But force him to make the decision. You should not have to go and trade him just because he's too soft to handle that type of pressure and handle that type of that adversity, that challenge that is being presented to him. So it's it's obvious his career is not going to go the type of way that he thought. He's not going to be the next LeBron and. It's getting to the point now where he might be a little bit. It's his career is going to be compared to he might be a little bit better of a playmaker than Draymond Green is. So that's where you're at with him right now. Unless he develops a jump shot. If he develops a jump shot, he finally gets over you know his soft attitude and actually goes and builds his career into something by improving his game. Then yeah, you can see him be a, a top you know top player in the league, be an all state, be an all star player, and maybe even help his team compete for a championship later on down the road. But it just doesn't look like that's going to happen in Philly. So if you're Philly, obviously you do want to move on at some point. But like I said, don't make don't make a decision based off what someone else tells you to do. Make him make a decision, either play or sit the season out, and then you can decide what to do from there if you're Philly as, you know, next season closes out and it gets closer to the to the postseason, the, the end of the season uh, next year. So that's the... NBA, going to move on real quick. This was an interesting topic that came up because I know I had talked about it in one of my earlier podcasts, talking about college football playoff expansion and the interesting, interesting part of how college football has expanded just over th- over the last couple of decades into what it is now, where we finally have a four-team playoff, and which a lot of people like, but you're still leaving out a lot of good teams that potentially have a chance to compete for a championship. And so the talk has been of a of college football playoff expansion of 12 teams. And now all of a sudden it looks like we are not getting that. The board of managers decided to not take a vote here at the end of September because there has been some, some I guess you say, pushback from these managers on people that are saying that they're not going to vote for it. And I think they've gotten – so many at that point because from what I from what has been said and from what I've heard it has to be a unanimous decision and so I mean even if one says he's for sure not going to vote on it there's really no point of taking a vote because I mean that's obviously your answer so you're not going to get the unanimous decision they shut it down and this is coming for last I, I reported on it a little while ago on one of our social media websites where I was talking about who it was, it was for the West Virginia school pres- president, he was saying that he wasn't going to vote in favor of it, so 
that pretty much put a nail in the coffin of the expansion, at least at this point. So the reason I'm talking about this, expansion is going to come back around at some point. And the reason why I say this, this year has a very good opportunity to prove that expansion is still needed. I'm a supporter of expansion because it gives more teams the opportunity to win on the field versus having a panel tell you who should be in the top four and who shouldn't just based off of based off the eye test. Yes, the eye test definitely plays a factor in it, but the eye test shouldn't just be the final say-so when it comes down to this. It should come down to records of who wins your conference, stuff like that. So I definitely think expansion is still coming at some point. And like I said, I think this year is going to be a big factor in that. And I can definitely see a huge push after this year because you're looking at the lineup right now. you got Alabama 1, Georgia 2, Oregon 3, and you got Oklahoma sitting at four, and then you got Iowa, Clemson, Ohio State, all you know, all sitting back there. And let's just say this: so Alabama and Georgia went out the regular season. Georgia and Alabama meet in the SEC championship. One of those teams has got to lose. Even whoever loses that game with one loss is still going to look like the, one of the top four teams in the country. Both of them are still getting in. So that's two spots already locked up by the SEC. Say Oregon continues their stretch, which they definitely have a good possibility to do because they've looked like the best Pac-12 team. They go and they win out, win the Pac-12 championship, they're automatically in. So you still got Oklahoma over here who also has a good shot of winning out if they can figure out their offensive problems, and they go 12-0, they're in. So you got a Big 12, Pac-12, and two SEC teams. And then you look on the outside, you got Big 10 teams in Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State still sitting out there, and you got the whole Big 10 that didn't even make it so they're sitting out of the top four because they didn't pass the quote-unquote eye test. And then you go down to Clemson, who I know has one loss to Georgia, but Georgia obviously has looked at one of the top two teams in the country. And they went out, and they go 12-1, and and they're thinking they deserve a spot in the playoffs. So right there you have already four teams that have, I would say, viable complaints when it comes to not being in the playoff. So... You, instead of having all eight of those teams in there being able to battle it out on the field, you have a panel of, I think it's 12 people at this point, that decide, okay, you've looked good, you've looked good. Okay, your records, you know, you went 13-0 and in one of the weaker conferences. We'll put you in. So, I mean, that's basically what it comes down to, and you're not giving these teams the opportunity to, com- to compete on the field. So what's going to happen if this situation plays out, which I think has a very good possibility of happening, you have – you have conference commissioners, you have school presidents, ADs, you have all these people that are that are ticked off, upset that their school didn't have the opportunity to compete on the field, but were just told that they were not good enough, and they'll have to go, like I said, it's a good consolation prize, I guess you say, in a New Year's Six Bowl, but at the same time, though, you want the opportunity to compete on the biggest stage, and that's the college football playoff, and you're being held out of it just because there's only four spots. That makes no sense whatsoever. You got a lot of teams that got a lot of opportunity. And I know there's Ohio State, Penn State, and you know, Iowa that those teams all have to still play and all that and there's gonna be some losses in that. But still you're definitely looking at the possibility of at least three teams that have a legitimate talking point of why they should be in the playoff who aren't even gonna have the chance just because there's only four spots. So to me that makes no sense whatsoever. I feel like it should be one on the field and obviously the fans are I would say agree with that. 
the ADs, the school presidents, the players, they're all going to agree with that when this type of situation comes around. Because it may not happen this year. I honestly think it will. That type of situation will play out this year. But even if it doesn't, it's going to happen at some point where that type of situation plays out and it forces guys like the West Virginia school president to vote in favor of that because it, it just literally it doesn't make any sense to not have that the option available it's more money for the schools it's more money for the conferences it's more money for the you know NCAA the college football playoff you know committee it's and it like i said it also gives these schools an opportunity to showcase what they have get better recruits to come to their school and the players get to play on the biggest stage and the players are happy and obviously that drives up more NIL deals for players that make themselves a name on the national spotlight so there's just a lot of good that can come from it if you're sitting in that college football playoff, you know, board of managers and you're sitting here looking at this and down the road. And it, like I said, if that type of situation comes out and it's, it's only a select few that are not not up for it. So I think their minds will be changed. And if not, they'll be changed for them because I think that's a lot of missed money. And that's a lot of fans and people that are going to be extremely unhappy if that situation doesn't, you know, doesn't work out. So, uh that's the sports section for today. We're going to move on over into some politics for a little bit, kind of talking about some stuff that we talked about Tuesday and kind of breaking it down just a, a little bit more and giving you a little more insight into just what's going on with the border crisis. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Biden and his flip-flopping, which is nothing different than he's done since his whole presidential campaign. So going to start off with looking at the border crisis i talked about it like i said i talked about it on tuesday and it's it just seems to get worse every single time we look at the news we look at what's going on with that situation at you know at first they trained they changed all of trump's policies you knew that instantly wasn't going to be good you had a mad rush on the border you have people constantly flowing in they're trying to stop you know ice uh I saw, you know, officers and people down there from detaining the troops. They want I mean, de- detaining the immigrants, excuse me. And you're having a mad rush at the border, and you're constantly having criminals, illegal aliens flow into your country that are taking uh, just stuff that is here for the American citizens and what they deserve because that is their American right. And they're just flowing through illegally. And like, like I said before, this is exactly what they want because if they can get amnesty in their $3.5 trillion spending bill, it'll work out perfectly. Cause like I said, you'll have immigrants that'll vote for Democrats because they'll give them whatever they want. And like I said, that's the type of play that they're looking at. But like I said, it just keeps getting worse. Look today at the headline from Fox news, turned it on this morning. You got thousands of Haitian migrants camped in Texas towns that are now being let into the U S Biden just said the other day that they were looking to start having flights where they were going to start sending these Haitians back to Haiti on flights. And they were going to have about, I think it said five to eight a day. And so instead of having five to eight flights a day that we're hearing about and we're having thousands exported, we now have thousands that are immediately after he says to start being released into the United States. And so, like I, talk, like I said, talking about Biden's flip-flops, he just said we're going to send them out. Okay, so they've had a couple planes that went out that may have had a couple hundred on it, but you just have a couple thousand that just start pouring into the country and pouring into these areas where they're short on supplies, they're short on, you know, you're seeing these illegal migrants go on these farmlands and they're stealing people's, you know, produce. Everything you can possibly think of is going down there. They have just a lot of shortages and it's all because of this. And 
it's not going to get any better because this, like I said, this is exactly what they want. This is the plan that they have, and they're going to stick to it no matter what they say. They say the border is not open, but obviously it is open. We have thousands and thousands and thousands pouring into here. And looking at this article and another one I was looking at from ABC, they were talking about the total amount of migrants that they think have poured through illegally through the southern border just this year has probably eclipsed 600,000. Which is an absolutely insane number. We're only 400,000 away from having a million people just pour over the border illegally. They were going from 5,000 encounters a month at the southern border when Trump was in, just last, just this time last year when Trump was in office, to now they're saying they're having over 200,000 a month of just encounters at the border. And like I said, they're not sending these people back. They're sending, they're maybe sending some back just to save face, but the rest of them they're putting in these camps and then they're releasing them right into the right into the U.S. And they give them a, you know, uh, immigration court date that they're supposed to go to. But, you know, they're not they're not going to that because if they go there and then they say that they have to go back to where they came from and they're going to send them back, they're not going to take that risk. They're not going to their court date. They're going to continue to go into the United States. They're going to take what they want. They're going to try and get their citizenship illegally, you know, by just being part of it. And I talked a little bit more about that part of it. In the last podcast, if you want to hear more about that, go and find it. It's episode six. So look into that if you want more on that. But like I said, I'm talking more about just the whole flip-flops in terms of Biden and just how he goes back and forth on what he says constantly. We've, I mean, I'll just give you a few examples of what's happened. We've had, like I said, this border crisis. He says that the border is not open. He says that we're sending people out on these flights, but they turn, turn around have almost 600,000 people that have made it illegally into the U.S. And now... They're releasing them even even more from these camps while they say they're you know sending these planes out. Then you look over here. Just last year in December, after he was after he became president elect, that you know the word that they like to throw around, and they he said that vaccine there would be no vaccine mandates from the federal government because he felt like that wasn't the federal government's role. But here we are, just a couple of weeks out, about two or three weeks out from where he gave one of the biggest mandates in you know, in the country from the federal government where businesses with 100 plus employees have to mandate the vaccine or they have the option for testing, which we all know will go out the window eventually when they reinforce this mandate later on, uh, when they change it up a little bit, just like they did with the federal workers where originally they had testing and now they don't. It's either get the vaccine or be fired. And you look at it in debates when he had with Trump last year. So we're going going back to his flip-flops. Look at where he talked. He was, he was asked if he was going to stop fracking he said no well obviously that was a lie we had fracking sites being shut down we had licenses not being given out to these places that wanted to drill for oil and now gas prices have obviously shot through the roof where i'm at here it's just about to hit three dollars a gallon just this time last year and like i said i know we were in a pandemic less travel you had all that but even just going back a year before that i mean we were having gas prices where we were steadily in the 170s 180s and i could fill up my tank for 20 bucks now it cost me almost 40 bucks just to fill up my tank and this comes from like i said another one of his flip-flops going to afghanistan now let's talk about afghanistan for a quick second Biden said that this was going to be a smooth transition. They were going to get everyone out. They would keep the troops there until everyone got out. And here we are 40 days almost after this Afghanistan troop withdrawal or just a whole withdrawal in general from Afghanistan. 
and we still have people that are still stuck over there, people that are being killed by the Taliban, and just have no hope because Biden abandoned them, just like he said he you know, just, but not like he said he would, but the opposite of what he said he would do. And, like I said, this has caused a lot of damage for them, even though they're trying to keep it out of, you know, your eyes and everyone else's eyes, because you can see it when you look at Biden's polling right now. You got a poll from Rasmussen, and you got a poll from one other source that was saying that they're, they both show the exact same statistic, where it shows that Biden is now down to a 43% approval from independents. So, if you're Biden and you're looking at that poll, you already know you're struggling because he obviously won a lot of independence over last year when he was elected president. And that's obviously a six-point downturn in just a span of a month. And so, obviously, that's not good polling. That's not the situation you want to be in from the guy who says he's running for re-election in 2024, which I don't even know how he makes it even to 2024. But uh, that's another that's another situation to talk about later on. But... Uh, Going back to this, his polling is down. It's getting to them, and they know it. And so what do they do? They go to the media, and they manipulate the media. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this. I know some of you listening are going to say this is insensitive. It doesn't make any sense. It's a bad It's a bad, you know, talking point. You can say that all you want. I'm going to disagree with you a thousand times. This is the exact truth on what's going on. If you followed the news at all over the last couple of days, I think it's been about four or five days now at this point, you've heard the story of Gabby Petito. It is a sad story. The girl was obviously murdered. I hope they get her boyfriend who committed the murder. He's obviously been missing. They're still looking for him. I hope they get him. I hope that you know he gets life or he gets ex- you know executed over his choice to kill her. And I hope he you know gets everything that he possibly can in that because. And well, because obviously because he killed her, but moving on, you saw this story. It's been all over the news. It's been all over headlines from CNN, MSNBC, ABC, and even Fox News has got in on it. And the thing is, it's not, you, you look at it and it's just a story that you would see on a local news station. And yeah, it's, a, you know, a bigger, a bigger story because, you know, they got a manhunt for the guy and all that. But this was a story that was huge. Before that section of the you know story even became came out, we just knew she was missing. People were obviously already looking for her, and that's when the story became big. But we had no idea that you know her boyfriend was responsible. We didn't even know where the body was at this point. We thought they thought she was just missing. This story was already in the news cycle, and so now we just they just got the body yesterday, and they're still looking for him, and it's still all over the news. So what I'm trying to say with this is. This is a sad story. It's unfortunate. I hate it. Yes, it should be newsworthy from, I would say, local stations, from any anyone in that region. I mean, I want to know about it as well. I want to see it and stuff. But it shouldn't be your top headlines every single day for the past four or five days. And like I said, to, to some people, this is going to rub them the wrong way, and that's okay. If you don't like it, I'm you know that I'm that's too bad. I'm trying to show you what they're trying to do. And what happens is you see CNN throw the story up, you see MSNBC throw the story up, ABC throw this new story up, and what they do is is they lock you into this, and this is what you see because they want to take your whole attention away from the mishap of the whole Biden administration, and they want to put it in this whole situation where they can get you emotionally attached to this story of this girl who had a you know had her death and was a very sad death at that. 
and they want you emotionally wrapped in that so you don't pay attention to everything else going on. And that's exactly how media manipulation works. That's how they've continued to do it. It's like last year with Biden running for president. Instead of his policies being on display because everyone should know about what the candidate, you know, what their policies are, what they're running on. We already knew what Trump was running on because he'd already said he, you know, the media followed him forever. But instead of it being on Biden's policies while he was running as the challenger, it was solely focused on what they say was Trump's failures. And that's exactly, like I said, this is exactly what they do in media manipulation. They take what the headline should be and then they put something completely in front of it to cover the disaster that's behind it. And they get you emotionally involved in to the point where you don't care about anything else, but you only care about this sob story that they want, that they want you to see in, in front of it. And like I said, I'm going to say it again. This death was sad. It's a story that needs to be heard, but it should not be a top headline over a situation like the border crisis. It should not be a top headline over a situation like General Milley, which was gone from the news cycle within three or four days. This, I mean, this story came out of Gabby Petito came out basically five, day, five to six days right after the General Milley situation occurred. And then the border crisis fired up. And then, like I said, this, was, this news story was on overdrive. This is basically all we've heard about. And that's exactly what they want, and they pump it, and they pump it. So MSNBC, ABC, CNN, they go at it, and so all of a sudden Fox News has to do it to save face. And these other, you know, these other conservative news outlets, they put it up there because it's what everyone else is doing. If they don't, they get pressured into it. They get canceled by the, you know, by the progressives. And I'm not, ma- you know, making excuses for them. They should definitely put these Biden, this Biden administration failure front and center. But that's exactly just how stuff happens in the media. And so they try to cover it. They don't want you to see what Biden's doing with the whole Afghanistan story, which, like I said, is still 40 days, only 40 days out and still have people over there. But you haven't heard a dang word about that in forever. You, Like I said, Mark Milley's insurrection against Trump was only in the news cycle for three to four days. And then the Biden border crisis already trying to be shoved under the rug with this Gabby Petito story. And like I said, to some people, this may sound insensitive. It may sound like I don't care. But I'm just trying to explain this is exactly what they do with every situation, and it all comes down to the more that they can keep your eyes away from it and keep you focused on something else, you won't care who you vote for in 2022. They won't, you won't care who you vote for in 2024 because you'll be so infatuated with stories like this that it won't matter. And they're going to continue to do this, and it's what they're doing with COVID right now. If they can continue to pump the masses, the sheep, with the fear porn of COVID and keep showing you the case numbers, even though they're already going down, and keep showing you the death total, which has obviously dramatically decreased, that they don't want to talk about, and they keep showing you all these numbers and they keep talking about how we might have to have lockdowns in the winter, they try to keep people emotionally invested in that so they don't see the failures that's going on behind the scenes. And it's so frustrating to me, and the reason I'm talking about this is because I see so many people that want to talk about you know these stories that don't even matter when the whole focus has got to be on the stuff that's going to affect us through you know from here on out that's affecting us now and it's for the last has for the last eight months and will until at least 2024 with this this crap show of a presidential administration and so i mean like i said going talking about biden flip-flops and what they're doing with the with the media to show that i mean i'm gonna give you another another example and talking about how the the media manipulate stuff and how they 
you know, put stories like this in front of you. When I go, I was just talking about COVID, what they did with Dr. Fauci. He would, you know, come on and they do these interviews with him just basically weekly. If you're a, if you're a a progressive news station, a mainstream media news station like CNN, MSNBC, or uh, ABC, they they put this in front of you and they put Fauci out there and he says all the stuff that they want them to say and how dangerous it is and uh, just just all these different things and. You look at what he's done. You look at how he talked about how we didn't need masks at the start of the, the pandemic, how we needed to social distance social distance at the beginning of this, and now we don't even know where social distancing even came from and how it's so unscientific it didn't, doesn't even make any sense. He said that the federal government wouldn't be doing a, a vaccine mandate. They did. And then also just the one that cracks me up like crazy is the one where he talked about with these football stadiums being packed he said it was it wasn't so smart and that it was going to be super spreader events with the with the college football games with them being packed and now you have cases in every southern state that is, has full stadiums like Georgia Alabama Florida Texas Louisiana, you name it, all these places they have their case numbers that are going down and they're not down just by a little bit they're down by like 30 40% in some states and this is what they do. They parade them around, and then they change the narrative. So Fauci goes from his flip-flopping on this situation, but then when he finally comes up with his new thing, they put it up real quick, and they show you what he's saying now and how scary it is and what we need to do so that way you don't forget what's going on with COVID because they want to keep you emotionally invested in that. They want you to turn on other people that don't believe in the same thing so that way you don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And we got to see what's going on behind the scenes because if we don't, we're going to be in trouble and we got we got to start getting things right we got to start getting this stuff out here before these these elections start happening in 2022 because i was like i said before you can go back to my other podcast this is the this is the 2022 and 2024 is our last shot to really save america as a whole and if we don't do it now there's going to be two different entities by the time it's all said and done we're going to have red states versus blue states and that's just how it's going to be because we cannot continue to live to live this way. We cannot continue to have have it where this administration continues to fail over and over and over. Because I mean, our country just looks like a laughing laughing stock. And we got to get back to some sense, in some common sense in our society, which is obviously a tall asking point at this point in time. But do I think we can get there? Definitely, we can get there. But we got to start somewhere and that's got to be by seeing through the me- the media manipulation and looking past the this you know emotional stories that they want you to see and start looking at what's really going on behind the scenes because if we can do that and we have the information presented to us we can be able to fight back in some way in some form in some fashion so that's today's episode i don't have anything else this hasn't been really too much other breaking news going on but that's today's show. We'll have our college football week four preview show coming out this Saturday. Going to look at some of the games. we got some big ones coming up. Texas A&M, Arkansas, got Wisconsin and Notre Dame. So we got some big games. Going to be talking about them. So don't miss that episode as we preview them. That'll come out at 8 o'clock Saturday morning. So with that said, though, thank you for looking at or, watching, or listening to our show today. And... Like I said before the show started, if you're looking for more opinion articles, if you're looking for any more information, go to our our website at therevolutionsports.com. Follow all our social media pages, and be sure to keep up with all the news that's coming out there. And with that said, we'll see y'all in the next one.